Culture Eats Strategy for Lunch, and inform cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader for about 21 years in data. And I'm Lee Harper, AI human with over a decade doing AI stuff. And today we are going to talk about the nuances of AI, ML, and Gen AI and product management. With us today is Reza Shirazi of Procore. Reza, awesome to have you on today. Excited to be here, Sid and Lee. All right, so Reza, give us a um, little bit about where you are today. So why are we, you know, why are we out of all the different things in your career and your history um, that we could talk about? So where are you today? And, and then we can go into a little quick history of Reza as well. Great, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a principal product manager at Procore. Um, Procore is a construction management software company. I work on the AI team uh, on our search feature and other AI capabilities that we have in our product. Uh, I've been here at Procore for a couple of years. Um, prior to Procore, I was at SolarWinds. It makes software for IT teams to monitor networks, applications, infrastructure, and I, I also worked on AI over there, helping them build a machine learning platform so that we could add AI capabilities to the SolarWinds products. Uh, prior to that, I worked um, at a fintech company in Austin, Affinipay, um, payment technology. And it was the uh, uh, our APIs for third-party integrators to integrate our payment technology into their applications. And then um, before that, uh, the uh, first product role that I had was at Clear Result. Uh, it's an energy efficiency consulting firm, and I worked on building products to run energy efficiency programs. Um, and then my career before that was primarily in IT as a project manager. Um, but uh, so it's been about 10 years in product and uh, been a great time. So what inspired the move from kind of the IT and then know, early product stuff being still, you know, kind of software and integrations based to the more data and AI space? Yeah, it was more serendipity than anything else. Uh, so when I came to SolarWinds and they were um, exploring how to add AI to their products, um, you know, it's a it's an older company. Um, it, it was a big change to, to do that. And I had developed a skill you know, two good skills. One is sort of working on technical products, um, like when I worked at Affinipay on those API type products. Um, and so sort of really understanding some of the technical details. And then the other was, you know, just, uh, you know, like I developed the skill of working on complex initiatives, a um, lot of cross-functional collaboration that is needed. And that was what was really needed in that role. And so it was happenstance that I that I came there um, to do that and it worked out. It was like, a, it was a good fit. Um, it was exciting to work on, you know, something very technical, but also something challenging to figure out how to, you know, really understand the problem and uh, come up with a good roadmap to execute on, to add AI to a product. And back then that was really, that was a hard problem. I know it's got easier over the last kind of five years, but, you know, back in, you know, late 2010s, that was a capital H hard, yeah. complex yeah. problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, uh, I, I think we're, you know, and I think we'll talk about this. I think, you know, with Gen AI, especially, you know, the possibilities become even 
um, even greater. Um, and so it makes it a much more interesting. I mean, there's so much more awareness of it now with ChatGPT just sort of blowing up um, that, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, AI is easier, but in some ways it is harder to figure out like where the value is and what will actually make a difference for the user. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of um, noise and not a whole lot of signal going on at the moment. So trying to figure out what, you know, what are those threads that we can grasp that will actually lead us to something of value is, is quite the trick, right? And in yeah. some ways, you know, that might even, maybe that is actually a definition for an AI product manager. Yeah. It's like <laughs> out of the many threads that exist out there, which ones are like the golden threads? So, all right, Reza. How would you define AI product management? You've, you've now worn both hats, right? You came from more traditional product management, now doing this. What, what is, how would you posit a definition? Yeah, you know, so the first thing that I would say is like AI, you know, if, if you will boil it down to sort of the most basic thing, it's basically a smart machine. Um, you know, it's, and, and it's, and it's an ability for that, for that machine or that computer or that system to learn, to adapt and make decisions with data. Um, and so that's kind of like at the fundamental level of, uh, you know, getting that understanding. And to be an AI product manager is to understand the potential and limitations of this smart machine. And it requires, um, you know, both that technical understanding, you know, the, the technologies and their potential and their limitations, you know, with net machine learning and natural language processing and computer vision and large language models, having that understanding is key because, you know, as a product manager, you're deeply trying to understand the problem and then understanding those capabilities and potentials to solve those problems is really critical. Um, and then the other part about sort of AI product management that I think is super important is, you know, data is the fuel of AI and uh, AI products depend on data and you have to, you know, ensure the availability, the quality, the ethical sourcing of the data. So there is a lot of uh, uh, nuances to that and, and, and data is what brings AI to life. And so the, having that firm understanding is, is really key. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Gen AI has just become this, ubiqu you know, it's becoming ubiquitous or it will become more ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. um, and so AI will become more and more important to what we do with products uh, because generative AI just opens up so many possibilities and so many modes of how we can interact with software that didn't exist before. And so in some ways, you know, just like there was a time when mobile was like this unique thing and it was a novelty and you know people yeah. would you know would be like oh we need to do mobile um yeah. and and now it's just ubiquitous like you know you don't you don't give a second thought to whether mobile should be part of your product strategy or not it just happens to be i think the same thing will happen with ai although you know we talk about ai just being part of our products it it will become much more so so it'll become no longer a novelty but just a capability in our products that is a given. Yeah, I, I, I like that analogy because if you think back to the early days of mobile, um, everybody just kind of assumed like, well, take the app functionality and just make it smaller, yeah. right? And so everything that you could experience and do, say in a thick client app or, or a web app that you would use on a desktop or a laptop or other large screen, it was just now do it all 
versus like different, you know, different experiences. And so we started yeah. to learn banking, started to learn, oh, we can do mobile check deposit. That was actually something that was really hard to do otherwise. So yes. boom, take a picture, take advantage of what the mobile device has that maybe your yeah. laptop or something else doesn't have. And so I, I like that analogy because I, I see that, you know, people in your position are going to have to start getting the rest of us to think that way as well, which is, no, no, this is different. So, um, yes. so, so how, how in kind of y'all's discussions around, you know, what you're going to do for Procore's customers or going back to, you know, when you were working at um, uh, SolarWinds and other places, what are some of the differences in like product and feature selection or when you're taking customer inputs, you know, how, do, how does the art of the possible, you know, and, and the variability in the output that you get with AI systems, how does that change your interactions with customers and with internal um, stakeholders? Yeah, so I, I will frame this answer with, you know, thinking about the four key risks that you have to address mm -hmm. at the product manager. And this comes, you know, uh, you know, not, not invented by me, but, you know, um, Marty Kagan, who's like one of the uh, product management gurus. But, you know, there are four things. There's value, um, feasibility, usability, and viability. Um, and so when you're when you're building a product, you're trying to build something that customers will love. That's also good for the business. Um, mm -hmm. That takes all these things into consideration. And so, let, you know, if we start with uh, the first one, which is value, uh, you start like just just like you do in in any other product um, decision that you're trying to make or product that you're trying to build is like what is the problem? What is a customer problem that we want to solve? And does solving this problem address an outcome for them that that is valuable um, and useful. Um, and and so I will, and, and with each of this, I'll sort of give you an example from yeah. from my work. Um, so uh, so at, so at SolarWinds, when when we were uh, thinking about what problem should we solve with with, um, you know, AI, uh, one of the things that I identified, like I heard often from customers um, was this challenge with um, alert noise. You know, you get a ton mm. of alerts as an IT system yeah. admin. Um, which one should I pay attention to? What, 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 what do I uh, go after? You know, what, uh, where's the, you know, where's the needle in the haystack? Where's the red herring mm -hmm. uh, uh, for me to focus on? And so, uh, you know, eight, you know, a way to solve that problem is, is uh, how can we address this alert fatigue? with mm -hmm. anomaly detection and anomaly detection is, you know, sort of a uh, capability uh, machine learning uh, that you can use machine learning on to identify like what of these alerts are anomalies that can um, uh, be, you know, shared with those users for them to know this is what I should pay attention to versus other yep. things that are not anomalies. And so that's an example of, okay, we identified a customer problem, which is alert noise. And now you can tie that to solving it a particular way with anomaly detection that could drive value for customers. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is feasibility. Um, you have to understand whether, you know, the way that you want to solve this problem is actually technically feasible. And in AI, you know, it's not just the technical feasibility, but do you have <laughs> the data to solve the problem? Um, and yeah. so you have to have the data availability, um, you know, to do it. And so, you know, in the case of that anomaly detection, um, you know, we knew that there are machine learning techniques to do anomaly detection. What we have to, what we had to consider is like, can the data that we have be used to build models that are a useful representation 
of solving this problem so that uh, an IT admin would actually pay attention to it. So in, in almost in a way that model is trying to replicate an expert IT system admin that mm -hmm. uses their intuition and hunches to know which anomaly, you know, which of these alerts is an anomaly to pay attention to. And that's what you're trying to do is like, can we feasibly build a model that can have, you know, valuable um, information or valuable outputs for the user to pay attention to? So that's the feasibility. I have one um, question it. on there, sure. if you don't mind, because sure. I yeah. think that's, uh, um, I, first off, I love how you frame these things. I think there's so much from product management that it, to me, I've seen a lot of customers make the mistake of forgetting that product management principles that work so well in talking to your, your, your external customers actually work really well for internal. So fees, yeah. you know, value and feasibility are key, but at the hitting on that data point, my observation, I'm curious your opinion on this. My observation is that we can, I, like kudos to the people that ask about the feasibility. Hey, do we have the data? And like looking at IT system logs and the thing you're talking about, SolarWinds is an easy one, right? Or, yeah. or could be easy one. Cause like, oh, well we have all the data. Yeah. Yes, you have part of the data. Now, most of, one of the most important things is then, do you actually capture the decisions that were made on that data? Because that, you know, when you talk about replicating expert systems, expert decision-making, is not only yeah. just the information that somebody observed, but in then some subsequent decisions, which then is in, in things, projects that we've done is frequently a gap. You got to go figure out actually how to gather that data because sometimes it frequently it does exist, but sometimes it doesn't. Yes. So, yeah. So yes. how much have you run into that problem? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know, in building that model, you want to make that model represent like how someone could make a decision. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there are there are ways to do that where like observing like um you know uh, product analytics or usage data to see how um how existing or expert users um use data to make decisions that that yeah. could be you know in the model to do that so yeah i think another sort of aspect of um this data feasibility is uh super important to consider which is a nuance that's different than uh, you know sort of typical product management you have to consider sort of the ethical considerations of whether you can use that data. Are there mm. like, you know, do your customers allow you to use that data? Are there any privacy considerations? Are there regulations that have to be paid attention to? Is there bias in the data? Um, and so there's mm -hmm. all those things that have to be thought about um, as you make that feasibility decision. No, that should, should be thought about. Should be yes. Sadly, yes. not everyone does. Yes. So that that's a critical part about that feasibility. Um, so I'll touch on the last two, which is um, so usability and viability. So usability um, is, you know, will this feature be used? Um, you know, is it is it uh, you know, is it understandable? Uh, can it be used? Uh, will the user, um, you know, you know, will the user be able to follow along with um, what you have for them? Um, you know, and then there are some sort of other nuances that you have to think about, which is, does it replace judgment or augment judgment? Like what, mm. you know, you know, are they taking the hands off the wheel or they still have their hands on the wheel and doing autopilot? Mm. They're all those things that you have to think about in how this system can be used. Um, and then you have to think about like, which persona is this useful for? Like, who are you building it for? You know, are you building it for that expert sysadmin or are you building it for sort of more junior ones where they really need the help. Um, and so all of those have to be taken to, into consideration. 
Um, in that, you, you also have to, sure. Go ahead, Lee. How do you think about because these models output often probabilistic outputs? Yes, a lot of people aren't trained statisticians on that yes. usability thing. How do you think about presenting the you know what can be probabilistic outputs to users, especially ones who aren't you know technically or mathematically minded? Yes. So uh, two ways that I'll answer that. First is even before you think about, you know, how you represent this to users, you first have to think about like as a product manager with your data scientists, engineering teams, and your designers is you have to understand that AI capability and match it to the UI. Um, it might not be as smart or personalized out the gate. It might get better over time. And so you have to think about like, how are you representing that capability to users in a way that builds trust so that they're not like, you know, most people have this perception that AI is really smart. It knows me, um, you know, because I use Google and it, you know, knows the type of search that I want to make. And so that there's this perception of AI being really smart, but out the gate, it might not be. And so you have to match the capability with the, the UI. And you have to think about like how you, how you frame your content, how you frame the design, how do you how you offer up um, a suggestion, how do you um, show the data in a way that, you know, uh, maybe has uh, bars on the, you know, confidence bars on it. So there are many things that you consider to make sure that what you're doing with the user sort of builds trust for that yeah. capability that you're offering. And you're right, it's, sure. it's probabilistic and, and predictive. So you have to be thoughtful of that. So like on your example on like the usability and you said you mentioned a lot on like personas know it's important to know who's using it and how they might use it. Yeah. So maybe a potential example would be is like in your alert fatigue, you know, thing, yeah. you're you're you might be, you know, for um like nonprofit scenarios where it's like a static website and it's monitoring that's like, well, it's likelihood of getting hacked, target of getting hacked, very low. Versus DOD, I might yeah. let more false positives flow through for junior admins because yes. I, I, I need to, right? Yes. So, and then your, and then your, you know, your interface might allow for, you know, sort of, do I want to, you know, do I, you know, do I have knobs to make it, uh, you know, give me more false positives because I want that for my mm -hmm. environment or do I want less? And so you have mm -hmm. to think about that. Do you want to offer that or do you just have like the standard thing that everyone gets? And yeah. so that's why it's important to sort of understand the nuances. Um, the last one over here is viability, which is mm -hmm. like, is this going to make money for the business? Um, you know, is this, is this capability that drives value for the customer, then drive an outcome for the business? Um, you know, you want to make the customer, you know, use it and get value from it, but then do they actually then want to buy more of Procore or SolarWinds or what have you? Um, mm -hmm. And so viability is a critical thing to think as a product manager. It's probably the most critical thing to think as a product manager, because ultimately the product that you build is going to make, you know, is, if you're working at a software company, is going to make the company money. Um, and so you have to make sure that, you know, will this meaningfully drive that customer revenue? Will it help retain or expand existing customers? Should the, this, and then you have to sort of work with other teams like product marketing and sales and other, you know, strategy on, should this be part of the product package or sold separately? How much value um, to where a customer wants to pay for it? So the willingness to pay is a critical part of it. And so all those things come into the uh, viability space. You also sort of monitoring the competitive landscape. 
Um, what are other competitors doing? How's it, how's it making you position your product with them? Um, um, and then the last thing about viability, which uh, is critical because you're, you know, you're working in a business environment um, and you're building features that, uh, you know, your, your teams want to sell to customers. And when you're building AI products, the biggest challenge is managing the expectations of how quickly that can be done. Because again, this is probabilistic, not deterministic. Um, and you have a greater deal of uncertainty and complexity because um, you're, you know, you're no longer doing rules-based software. These are sort of model-based things that, you know, building a model that represents the world often is hard um, or represents, mm-hmm. you know, a, a particular part of it. Um, and so, you know, managing expectations of how well that is going and how quickly it can be done is, is, is a more challenging thing. And so that's an important factor also in building those products. And it's, um, Lee has, uh, we've worked together probably a little too long now, Lee. Um, because now I frequently repeat a phrase I learned from him, which is, um, uh, or I've learned, heard him say so many times, which is all models are wrong. Some are useful, right? And, yes. You know, we, we, <laughs> so if we kind of Love start that. with that premise, like drop the hubris, like everything we do is probably wrong because, you know, the complete representation that. of the universe, we don't have enough compute power for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So we can never fully represent everything. We're trying to, in our scientific ways, reduce it to a few variables that are understandable, predictable, and, you know, Get us close enough, right? Like, yes. Um, yeah. I have a question for you around this, like, four parts that you've talked about. It is my perception, and so tell me if you see the same, that step four, viability, mm-hmm. is frequently skipped or given lip service. And I say that because particularly in the age of AI, we see incredibly costly things being put out, whereas, like, Absolutely, the value to like me as a person might be super, might be pretty high, but is it high enough to pay for what the cost for that product to be viable? Probably not. And so, you know, I think one of the nice things about the um, death of the era of easy money, so i.e. interest <laughs> rates are higher, is that yeah. we're seeing growth at all costs being replaced with growth at a reasonable value, or I forget whatever yeah. the, the the VCs are calling it these days, but yeah. we're dropping the, the GEC. Nine-figure Series A is a, yeah. a thing of the past, oh, yeah. maybe? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, how, yeah, I, you know, yeah. you, you've seen this because you also do coaching. You've also been, you yeah. know, helping other people and mentoring other people and product managers. So, yes. so, so do you see that? Is that the same, your experience the same on step four? Yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something that I've been, um, watching and paying attention to like what what is changing in the field of product management like how is it changing mm. uh given that we've gone from you know the go-go years to you know efficient growth you know not growth mm-hmm. at all not grow at all costs but you know efficient growth um and and i you know i see that at Procore, i see that in the other folks that i talk to and mentor and coach um and so the viability aspect i i, I believe is becoming a much more critical part of what we do as product managers, like really understanding the go-to-market, the pricing and packaging, um, how is this actually going to have an impact on, you know, our revenue as a company? And, you know, during the zero interest rate go-go years, you know, it was it was like, let's add teams, let's build features, let's grow, let's grow, let's grow. So, you know, yeah. it, it was maybe diminished in, 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 in how important it was. So, I think that's the most critical thing that you're doing as a product manager. Um, although those other three things are super important, like you've got to think about the value, you've got to think about the feasibility and usability, you know, with the team that you're working with. 
Um, if you're not thinking about the viability, then what you're building doesn't really matter. It's not going to actually impact the business. Um, and so, yeah, it's and and it becomes even like you said, it becomes even more uh, nuanced when it comes to AI because oftentimes, you know, we have this halo around AI right now, and so we want to build AI things like we want to call everything AI uh, yeah. because in some ways it drives. You know these companies. You know the, the the companies that you're selling to. They're like, oh wow, it has AI. Um, yeah, but it's not. That's not going to last. That's not yeah. going to last because the people that use it are not going to be you know getting the value that they want out of it. That will you know cause churn or cause uh, reduction in satisfaction. Could impact your brand and things like that. So as a product manager, really pushing back on you know we're not just doing ai for the sake of ai but because it will meaningfully deliver some value to our customers that will that will have a a good impact on the business i made the observation a while back with ai and data science companies that they tend to fall into three big buckets you've got the platform companies you know your your, your databricks microsoft google yeah. amazon etc you've got your consulting firms you know doing yeah. services and a a lot of startups are de facto services firms, that's, yeah. especially in the, in, the, in the AI space. And then you get the companies in the middle that are the product companies yeah. who are solving a real problem. Yeah. And AI happens to be how it gets solved. Yeah. And honestly, I think the best product companies who are you know, solving business problems rather than platform companies. Yes. You aren't even aware it's AI, right? You as a no. user shouldn't even care it's AI. Yes. Right? It might be a good architecture thing. But if it's yes. working, you shouldn't you shouldn't even be aware. It should just be on the back end, smoothly running. You get this amazing high value feature. Yes. That you as an end user can say, oh, I'm using oh, that's feel good about it. But yes, you know, yeah, it should be a magical experience. It should be like you know, it helps me in a way that you know makes my job easier, or automate something, or, or suggest something, and it does it in a way that's so um, magical that you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't have to be you know sort of this. Uh, uh, you know, blaring banner saying AI. So now on um, speaking a little bit then about the user experience, then what has been the impact to kind of the traditional ways of thinking, like stepping through value, feasibility, usability, right? And particularly the usability aspect when yeah. you're now talking about a system that you know, injecting a feature or a function or a value stream that is inherently shades of gray, right? I have yeah. variable inputs and variable outputs. This changes the dynamic, right? Yeah. And, and I think this question is important, you know, to talk about both because, yes, you are at both at SolarWinds and at Procore, you know, you're talking about dealing with data and dealing with products that then are and customer facing. But all of us working on, you know, that do also work on internal projects as well. These are important questions too, right? Yeah. Yeah, super critical. Yeah, so you know, uh, designing the experience is is important. You know, and I'll, I'll talk about you know about a handful of sort of these key factors and some examples of you know uh, of of the work that I did in, in how it sort of to bring color to it. So the first thing that I always think about when I think about AI, uh, because it's a smart machine and, and we're smart humans. Um, we have to trust this smart machine. You know, it's a machine and and we have to um, uh, give up some of what we do to this machine to do it for us. And mm -hmm. so trust is uh, a, a huge factor. And I talked a little earlier about, you know, AI has these perceptions of being smart, 
Um, but it also has perception, negative perceptions of it'll take my job away. And so trust mm -hmm. can be a challenge. And so when you think about that anomaly alert example, um, you know, for an expert IT system admin, he's going to say like, why should I trust this anomaly alert versus relying on my own judgment? And so how do you build that trust is, is a really critical part of it. Um, the second thing I think is really important in AI is making that capability, that feature explainable and transparent. The user should understand why AI is making certain recommendations. It shouldn't be a black box. They should feel like they have an element of control. Um, they should understand why AI is doing what it's doing. So another example from SolarWinds, um, you know, a more sophisticated AI capability was something called event correlation. How do we take all these various events that are happening in the IT environment and correlate them to tell you where the problem is, like where, like these things are correlated, go and look at this particular node in the network or go and look at this uh, particular server or database or have you. And uh, making that explainable and transparent needs to be like, why are these events being correlated? How are you visualizing what, what those events are and, and representing in a way where a user can build confidence in, okay, I know what this did. It, did, it just didn't tell me, go and look at the server but it visualized it for me or explained it to me. So I think that's another sort of a, a nuance of trust that's, that's important. Um, another is, you know, the first time a user uses AI, you know, you call it like the first time user experience, um, uh, you want to be sure that um, it's a nuance of that explainable, like the first time that I use it, is it too complex for them to understand to where they won't use it anymore, right? Mm. So an example, um, at Procore, you know, there's this capability called automated area takeoff um, that uses machine learning. And automated area takeoff um, takeoff is a way of measuring uh, a construction drawing to say, like, this is how big this room is. We'll need this much tile or this much carpet or what have you. And it's a very manual effort. And there are estimators that manually in the past used to use rulers and pencils um, mm -hmm. um, to measure things. You know, now they do it on a computer, but they do it all manually. An automated area takeoff uses computer vision to measure things. Um, but again, you have an estimator that has done it a certain way for 20 years, 30 years. The first time that they have automated area takeoff do it for them, how can you be sure that they have an experience to where they feel some degree of control or they feel that some degree of magic to where, wow, this is actually helping me do it? Um, uh, that is that that I want to keep doing as opposed to, you know, I don't want to use it anymore. And I'm just going to go right. back to the old way that I was doing it. So that's like a, a critical thing to consider. Um, another well, couple of things that, like, yeah. I was going to say, go I ahead. love that example, Reza, because, you know, now you hit on something that's incredibly important in a value stream. Not only am I, so that is a high value problem that you could be yeah. helping solve for that that installer. But yeah. then if I get it wrong, you know, that installer has two huge damages at a minimum, right? One, yes. their entire margin on that project is completely gone if they yes. have to rip out and replace. <laughs> and then two, their reputation, right? Yes. And so, you know, that you're, you're talking about like high value and helping them automate something because then I could, you know, if I'm the installer, I could probably scale, bring newer people on, quickly yes. train some new folks. But the cost to get that wrong? Yes, is high. Wow, it's really <laughs> high, very high. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other thing which I talked about a little earlier is personalization. You know, users expect AI to be smarter, 
So it's providing like a generic answer um, or a generic recommendation. Will the user keep using it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you know, think of like, a, you know, think about Google and how it just seems uncannily aware of the types of searches that you do. And, and, and it just seems like magic. Like, you know, I start typing something, it knows how to finish what I was typing, um, mm -hmm. you know, at the type ahead. And so that personalization is really critical. And, you know, out the gate, it might not be as personalized as you hope it would be. Um, and so how do you manage that perception of what it should be versus what it can actually do? Um, the other thing that I think is critical related to that is, you know, feedback is critical on AI products. Um, you know, if, if users are having challenges either with that, you know, experience, the first time user experience or with the personalization of what they expect it to be, um, you know, it, it's critical to have feedback in the loop to know how do I adjust my AI system? Because AI, like unlike other products, is just going to constantly evolve with the technology, with the data, the user expectations, all those things sort of drive mm -hmm. um, drive an AI product. And so, so for example, like if you've used ChatGPT and they have a thumbs up, thumbs down, and the thumbs down is, you know, it had, you know, you either say it's incorrect or unhelpful or offensive, all that is useful information to make the product better. So that's a, a critical part. And then the last two things, um, I mentioned this a little earlier, sort of automation versus human in the loop. It's, you know, critical to find that balance between the two in the experience. Mm -hmm. um, do the users want to take the hands off the steering wheel? They want to keep the hands on the steering wheel? Like what's important? That's a, like a critical part of it. Um, and the last, and I think the the probably the most important thing is like, what is the persona personality of that AI? You know, what type mm -hmm. of product do you have? Like, you know, the DJ in Spotify, you know, that AI DJ in Spotify is yeah. friendly and, you know, it, it, it makes you want to keep listening. It sounds like that great radio commentator, you know, Casey Kasem from, you know, back, back in the day, like a great, you know, this, that silky voice um, and yeah. you want to keep listening to it. But if, if I'm in a B2B SaaS app and I'm using an AI product, um, you don't want it to be friendly. You want it to be, you don't want it to be funny. You want it to be professional. You want it to be smart. And so thinking about that persona and personality is, is super critical. And I think it becomes even more critical as we think about like Gen AI and yeah. uh, what it offers. So if, yeah, we, um, we all saw the early experiments with Clippy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so I've got one more question yeah, sure. related to that kind of area, because you, you mentioned all, all these things. One area that I didn't hear you mention that I'm curious about is how you deal with accountability. So if the if the system outputs a result, say, you know, sending an alert to you know somebody or let's say the installer example, right, site goes badly wrong. How do you view from the user experience or the user kind of perspective side, how kind of accountability works for these predictions? Yeah, um, uh, I think about it two ways. One is sort of like that feedback is critical, um, you know, and, and being very much in tune with like how customers are experiencing it, using it, not using it. Um, and, and, and as a, you know, as a product manager, using those to make better decisions about what the product can and can't do. Like you have to understand its capability before putting it so out there to where it could make mistakes. And so you have to be, you know, somewhat conservative with the choices that you're making, given the impact that it could have. And so that's like a nuance to, to pay attention to, like, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm making a like decision this week about do I release this particular thing, given that there is some issue with, you know, the, the data pipeline. 
Um, and I have to balance, okay, well, I really want to release this feature, you know, in a small way to get feedback from customers. But I also know that like the scale of the issue is too big to where I think it could cause an issue with the type of outputs that it gives. And so you have to find that balance. Hmm. Yeah. So there's, you know, we've talked a lot about the changes, both the similarities and the changes to uh, traditional project management. I love how you walked us through like the four steps of you know, the value, um, feasibility, usability, viability, and how that applies, still applies, you know, for, to both traditional project uh, product management and, you know, AI products. What other changes have you seen to teams, you know, like, but the, you know, internal teams as you do in product and, you know, um, you know, changes to how you validate user experience or testing, you know, the, you talked a little bit just now about, you know, how you might make the release decisions. So what, what other changes have you seen and, and what are you, yeah. what are you so, walking people through as you mentor them? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with like, um, you know, thinking about the data, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that's a critical part of, of, um, you know, AI, uh, you know, how do you get, you, you know, if you're working on a product that's pretty large, like Procore or, or multiple products like you have at SolarWinds. To build that AI capability, you need data. And so how are you aligning teams around the outcomes, breaking down the silos of where that data is and how it's managed? You know, are, do you have the right pipelines? Do you have the right data to, to build the models? Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, the, the, this example that I was mentioning, you know, in, in search, we have to have access to all the data so that, you know, if a user makes a particular search, we give a good relevant answer. Um, and a team recently made it a change to where a particular part of, you know, the data pipe, it broke a particular part of our pipeline if we're not getting some part of the data um, into the search indices. And and that, you know, that that's a pretty big impact because we also will use those indices for other sort of AI capabilities, mm. um, you know, for natural language uh, question answering and things like that. And so it'll break the user expectation of like, you know, is that I'm not getting that answer? Why not? Um, yeah. So that's a really critical thing. Like, you know, that team is optimizing something in their part of the product, but it breaks the data pipeline of how we get the data. So it's all that that is super critical to deal with. Um, and it's the same, um, you know, there's the same issue with like, you know, from an external perspective of customers that have certain expectations of what AI can do in their, you know, in their part of the SaaS product. And, you know, if they don't have high data quality or if they're not entering data in the way that it should to drive the model in particular ways, they're not going to get the best outputs. And so, you know, on a construction project, if you want to predict the budget, uh, you know, that where the budget is going to end up in the construction schedule, if they're not entering the project start date and the project end date and the project type and, you know, a few other things that are not done well, then you're not going to get good predictions. Um, and so yeah. that's the flip side of, you know, yeah. where... Um, it, it could cause an issue. Um, and, and, and so that's a, so that's the first part is sort of, you know, dealing with that data. Um, and then when you think about, uh, you know, how do you sort of test and validate, um, to make sure that you get this out to customers, like once you deal with so, sort of those data issues, you know, two key points to understand about, um, data, you know, data and AI products. Um, one is with AI products, you know, there's an ability to learn and adapt over time for the model. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, that's super important to pay attention to because it changes the complexity of the interaction with the users as that, as that capability evolves. Um, and, and because of that, the capability, the AI feature is more dynamic. 
it's more multifaceted um, in, in your approach to how you uh, manage it than traditional software. So the data will keep changing. The technology keeps changing. Um, you have to keep monitoring how it's used, um, what outcomes it's driving, and then you have to keep iterating and improving. So that's the thing, like you got to keep, keep improvement. So the three things that you have to focus on, you know, to, to manage that, you know, is, 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 you know, you have to have continuous testing and monitoring. Um, the system will evolve as it encounters new data and scenarios. Um, the model could drift. And so really monitoring the models, monitoring the system um, as it encounters these new data and scenarios is super critical. The second is, you know, assessing the quality of your data, just, just like having a really tight bead on that. Um, data is the fuel, um, uh, the data quality and relevance is super critical. And so monitoring that yeah. becomes super important because it could really have a adverse outcome on, you know, what the outputs are. And then the last one was the feedback loop that is critical, um, incorporating sort of mechanisms for user feedback, um, incorporating observability to see how people are using it, your you know product analytics and usage. It's really important to pay attention to those things to uh, keep improving the product. I'll give an example. Um, this is a super simple example, but I think was it's, it's, it's really key. Uh, we were on a call with Salesforce. Salesforce is releasing Gen AI capabilities. Um, you know, uh, Procore's talking to Salesforce about these capabilities. I just happened to be on the call because I'm interested in other companies that are doing Gen AI. So I wanted to learn from that. Yeah. And uh, the product manager from Salesforce was talking about how, um, you know, uh, a you know, someone who's doing customer service and using the Salesforce product could create service summaries um, using the Gen AI capability. Mm. So they have this interaction with a customer. And it could create a summary of that interaction. So it's called a service summary. And then what they want to do is a, the customer can give like a thumbs up, thumbs down and some feedback on it. And what, you know, he talked about how they're going to use that feedback. So, so he said, I'm not going to use this feedback to train our model because customers have some aversion to like my data being used to train your model. But we're going to review that feedback to assess like how useful these summaries are and then we will take, you know, that feedback to think about how we change the model, how we change the answers, how we use the LLM more effectively. So that's like a really good example of, you know, a product manager releasing, a, you know, something early, a capability early and using that feedback loop to think about, okay, before I release this to more customers, how do we make those service summaries even better and more useful mm -hmm. to where they're, you know, actually used as opposed to, you know, the customer service person just doing the summary by themselves. So that's so the sort of sort of touches on um, um, those you know those three things. Awesome. On a related bit to that, and so so what I heard in that last bit that you mentioned is like that product manager is focused on how do I release something that when more people are using it, it is seen as trustworthy. Right. Yes. And so I have to imagine when you, when you were talking about like the pipeline issue. One of the things that popped into my head and it was kind of like, oh, wow, I hadn't kind of framed it that way before. But in traditional app dev product, build a website, build a form or something like that, if it breaks, I as a user will be frustrated with that, but I can actually quickly rebuild trust because it only takes, for most people, one instance of reusing that form and it works to, yes. okay, they fixed it, it's good, right? Like drop down's fine, I can now select you know, this, whatever it is. 
That's very different in, in AI. If I'm asking, uh, you know, like intelligent search, or if I'm talking to something, talking to a bot that I expect to know the corpus of like my sales process, and yes. it messes up, I might go back to it again, and it might have the right answer the next time. But I'm like, mm, but did it just luck into that answer? Yeah. Did it, did, did <laughs> it, does, has it actually fully been refreshed uh, or pointing to that. the right corpus that I know that, right? And so it's it's almost like there is um, not to personify things, but there is a little bit of personification that goes there into is. AI systems these days, where it's so. like you can make one mistake, and I have to do ninety nine things right before I trust you. Yes, it they also fail silently, right? Yes, if yes. Breaks it fails loudly. AI yes. systems fail silently. That yes. is true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think you're spot on there, Sid and, and Lee. Uh, it you know it, it does have a personality. We do think of it as smarter than just, you know, a, a you know, a typical software. And so the expectation is different. Um, you, you almost, uh, you almost uh, see it as a human. So that's why the persona and the, the choices that you make with how you design it are really critical to either managing the expectation or, you know, encouraging someone to use it. And if it doesn't, like error handling becomes really important, like the types of yeah. errors that you that you yeah. uh, come back with, like, you know, it, this is even harder in Gen AI, right? Um, you know, it's it, even more probabilistic, like it'll come back with something it could hallucinate or it could come back with something that changes every time. Um, and uh, what if it's not working or what if it can't answer the question? Will it answer the question? If you give it an error, how should you couch the error so that people want to come back and use it? Um, so yeah. that's all. <laughs> Oh man, oh, so many crazy We're things. dealing with that right now. We're dealing with that oh. right now. It's like, how should we, how should we write the error uh, yeah. so that people actually want to come back and use it? Because out the gate, it's not like it won't have everything that we want it to have. And so it mm -hmm. can't answer everything. It can't respond to everything. Um, mm. So. No, this, these are, well, I will say, I don't necessarily envy all the questions and all the things that you have to dig into. But I say that also knowing that in the consulting realm, I have to deal with those too. So, hey, yeah. we're in the same boat. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, row we're rowing through the same storm. So it's going to yes. be a lot of fun. Yes. So Reza, from your perspective, what are, what are you focusing your learnings on to, um, this year, this month? Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. Where, where, where are you pointing your brain next? Yeah, um, that, that's, that's great. So I, I would say... Um, uh, you know, three things. One is, um, you know, I, 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 I'm always trying to stay in tune with what's happening, you know, in the world of AI and, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, in machine learning and a couple newsletters that I really like, um, you know, the batch by, you know, Andrew, uh, Andrew NG, um, I can't pronounce his last name, um, from deep learning and then import AI by Jack Clark. Um, you know, those are great resources for me. So, you know, I pay attention to sort of the world of AI. The second mm -hmm. is, you know, I just pay attention to, you know, the tech industry. Um, you know, my favorite tech analyst and tech newsletter is Stratechery by Ben Thompson. Um, just nice and broad, just a fundamental um, understanding historical context of strategy and tech, um, which mm -hmm. I find um, really helpful. Um, and so... Uh, that gives me sort of a broad base of what's going on in tech and what are the patterns of, um, you know, choices and strategies and business um, um, that's out there. And then last, you know, I just love to read broadly because AI in some ways is 
about, you know, understanding humans and how mm -hmm. they can be helped. And so you have to have this humanity to what you bring to the work that you do to where if you're just thinking about AI, just thinking about tech, you're missing out, you know, a large understanding of the world and humans. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, you know, an example is like, um, you know, I read really broadly, um, you know, I, you know, I, uh, but recently I've, I've picked up a little science fiction because I'm interested in like, how is science fiction predicting the world that we're in or about to be <laughs> in? Um, and there's a funny story. Uh, someone wrote a great post on Medium about how Isaac Asimov um, predicted prompt engineering because in his robot series, he has a mm -hmm. series of rules for the robots to follow. And in, a, and, in, and in a way, those are like clear prompts for the robot to follow a particular way of doing things. And then the way that you talk to robots is like prompt engineering. You, you, you give them a lot of context, you say it in a particular way so that the robot will do exactly what you want them to do. And that's what mm -hmm. we try to do with ChatGPT. Like we're trying to guide it. We give it prompts to give it give the type of output that we want. And so it's things like that, that, you know, are inspiration. Um, I know that one's more tech leaning. Um, another one, another example is, you know, I, I love etymology and dictionaries, um, you know, words and language. Um, and it, and it relates really highly to large language models. Um, so, you know, we read a book recently, the professor and the madman about the making of the Oxford English dictionary, um, fascinating story about, okay. about like, this body of work that took 70 years to complete that tried to represent the whole English language. And that's like all foundational to where we are now. If you think about like large language models and, you know, the internet um, and, and how um, it consumed it to, you know, create this model of our language, um, thinking about like the Oxford in English dictionary is kind of adjacent to understanding, you know, the space that we're in today. So I'm just looking for inspiration in different places to become more human in understanding what AI can do for us. Oh, what a geek you are to wax poetically <laughs> about a book about a dictionary. And oh, what a geek am I to say, I want to read that book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, it's a good so, one. <laughs> so we're, so we're, we're all in the same company here. Um, I'm yeah. going to follow up and ask you about that book because it does sound fun to read, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good one. Um, well, awesome. Well, Reza, we really appreciate your insights today. This has been fantastic. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, LinkedIn, what's the best way yes. to reach out? So LinkedIn's LinkedIn. best place. Yeah, um, I, I'm uh, pay attention to that. Um, uh, love connecting with folks. I think that's a critical part of my growth in product management is like how I've connected with the community of product managers, you know, at first mm -hmm. in Austin, but then, you know, across the country and the world. Um, that's how I've learned about product management and AI is from others um, mm -hmm. and, you know, direct conversations with others, less so in podcasts and books. I mean, it's actually talking to other people that I've learned. And so yeah. um, I, I, you know, encourage people to reach out, love to chat um, and love to learn from you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Reza. It's been a fantastic discussion and uh, look thank forward you. to talking again soon. Yeah, great. Thanks, Sid. Thanks, Lee. Um, love being on and uh, all the best. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. 
Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.